President Biden pays the Middle East a visit, but there's controversy surrounding his trip, which comes as Beijing works to boost its influence in the region. A successful hypersonic missile test off California's coast, with more sophisticated testing coming later this year. That's as the U.S. and China race to develop the weapon systems. The Secretary of Defense meets his Australian counterpart. Both are stressing the need for rules-based order in the Pacific. And Beijing is still negotiating with American regulators, trying to keep over 100 Chinese companies from getting delisted. But a top official from the Securities and Exchange Commission says he's not convinced they'll reach a deal. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Middle East is one of many fronts where the Chinese Communist Party has worked to grow its influence. This week, U.S. President Biden is visiting the region, boosting ties and resetting relationships with U.S. allies. This as oil prices remain sky high in the U.S. and the West's pushback against Beijing garners more attention. On Friday, Biden greeted Saudi Arabian Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman with a fist bump, marking the start of his controversial trip to the nation, famous for its oil. But energy and security interests have prompted the Biden administration to avoid isolating the Gulf country. As Biden was pressed with questions over his trip to Saudi Arabia on Thursday. What will you say to Saudi leaders, specifically to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, about the Khashoggi murder and other human rights practices. Biden's meeting with the Saudi Crown Prince has drawn backlash over the regime's human rights record, in particular over the killing of U.S. journalist Jamal Khashoggi, which U.S. intelligence said was approved by the Saudi Prince. Yet Biden on Thursday declined to say he would press the Khashoggi murder while defending his own human rights record. I always bring up human rights. But my position on Khashoggi has been so clear. If anyone doesn't understand it in Saudi Arabia or anywhere else, then they haven't been around for a while. The president insisted that the visit falls under U.S. interests. I want to make clear that we can continue to lead in the region and not create a vacuum, a vacuum that is filled by China and or Russia. Biden's Friday trip to Saudi Arabia also comes as pressure mounts at home over soaring inflation. While Biden has insisted that he's not there to ask them for oil, U.S. officials do expect oil production to be a topic of discussion. Biden says he won't ask Saudi Arabia to pump more oil during the trip. Saudi Arabia is a U.S. partner and one of the most influential players in the Arabic world. But the nation is also tied to China through trade, mainly oil. Last year, bilateral trade between the two countries was valued at $87.3 billion. That's thanks to a strategic partnership the two countries signed in 2016. More news from the Middle East. In a meeting with Israeli leaders on Thursday, President Biden affirmed ties between their two countries and addressed one of their common concerns, Iran. But there's another player involved in those tensions. Let's take a look. Receiving a warm welcome from the Israeli president. President Biden affirming U.S. and Israeli ties on the second day of his high-stakes trip to the Middle East. America's commitment to Israel's security remains ironclad today and in the future. And at the center of that commitment are efforts to deter Iran. 
The U.S. said in a Thursday joint statement that it's ready to use, quote, all elements of his national power to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. But how to do that remains a question of debate. While Biden says, I continue to believe that diplomacy is the best way to achieve this outcome. The Israeli prime minister dismisses the diplomacy route, highlighting tensions over Biden's push to revive the Iran nuclear deal. Diplomacy will not stop them. The only thing that will stop Iran is knowing that if they continue to develop their nuclear program, the free world will use force. Beijing signed a 25-year cooperation agreement with Iran last year. It covers a wide range of areas, including economic, military and security. On top of that, China has been buying up oil from Iran. The country gives China a discount while Beijing's purchases help offset U.S. sanctions on Iran. New sanctions on Iran are coming down the pipeline. The U.S. Treasury and State Department have announced sanctions against a network of international companies. Those companies allegedly sold Iranian oil to China and other East Asian countries. That kind of sale violates U.S. oil sanctions on Iran. The reported purchase involves hundreds of millions of dollars of Iranian petroleum and petrochemical products. According to the Treasury Department, the companies in question used a web of Gulf-based front companies to conceal the origin of the oil. Some of the entities accused of the violation are located in Hong Kong. Others are based in Vietnam, Singapore and the United Arab Emirates. The U.S. has kept sanctions on Iranian oil exports for years. But over the past two years, Chinese refineries have been buying large amounts of Iranian oil. Those purchases have helped keep Iran's economy afloat. After a failed attempt to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, the White House has said it would continue to use its sanctions powers to target Iran's oil exports. The U.S. has a successful hypersonic weapon test in the books. That's after launching two hypersonic missiles made by Lockheed Martin. The Pentagon made the announcement Wednesday. The Air Force also confirmed the Tuesday test happened off of California's coast, featuring what's called an air-launched rapid response weapon, or ARRW booster. The success proves that the ARRW can reach and withstand operational hypersonic speeds. Air Force Brigadier General Heath Collins, the program's executive officer, said the U.S. is ready to move forward. Next up, what's called all-up round testing later this year, which includes the booster and the warhead. Hypersonic weapons are one of Washington's priorities in the U.S. military competition with China. And this successful test comes after three failed attempts. Last year, a report about Beijing's hypersonic weapons testing set off alarm bells in the West. America's top general, Mark Milley, called it very concerning. Experts say America's defense system could be caught off guard if China manages to combine hypersonic arms with a specific type of nuclear weapon delivery system. Here's what it does. And it means you launch a nuclear weapon or any kind of weapon into space, into orbit, and it stays there then you tell it to come in and destroy something. And it can come from any direction. So missile defense or preparations don't work against it. In fact, there's almost no warning time. This is the shock value. It's a shock weapon. Hypersonic weapons travel in the upper atmosphere at more than five times the speed of sound or about 4,000 miles per hour.
The U.S. Secretary of Defense met with his Australian counterpart at the Pentagon this week. There, both parties stressed their shared visions of confronting China challenges in the Pacific region. Here's what they had to say. Australian Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Defense Richard Marles visited the Pentagon on Wednesday. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin met with him. He said both countries are interested in strengthening a rules-based order in the Pacific. China's disruptive and destabilizing actions threaten to undermine our values, our interests, and our shared conviction that all states should be free to choose their own paths without coercion or intimidation. So today we'll discuss, discuss several ways that we could be working to uh, uphold a free and open Indo-Pacific. Marles agreed, calling China's military buildup a significant phenomenon. As China seeks to shape the world around it in a way that we've not seen before, and as it engages in the single biggest military buildup that we have seen in the world since the end of the Second World War. What is completely clear is that the alliance between our two countries, which is so central to our national security and our outlook in the world, has never been more important. The defense meeting comes as U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris announced new Indo-Pacific measures this week. During a virtual address to a summit of island nations, she voiced plans for new U.S. investments, as well as the opening of two American embassies. On top of boosting its nuclear arsenal, the Chinese Communist regime is growing its control of the South China Sea. Beijing also signed a deal with the Solomon Islands this year. The agreement worries the U.S., Australia and New Zealand, who believe it will allow China to station troops there. To push back on that, the U.S. has proposed reopening the embassy it closed in the Solomon Islands in 1993. In an earlier speech given in Washington, Marles said that Australia and the U.S. will need to do more to counter a growing number of threats in the Indo-Pacific region. In May, China failed in an attempt to unify 10 Pacific nations under a comprehensive new agreement. But Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's island-hopping tour of the region did achieve a number of small victories for Beijing, including bilateral agreements. As Washington works to stop Beijing's influence in the Pacific, two other countries are getting more involved. This week, the Solomon Islands told Australia that it won't allow Beijing to build a military base in its territory. Here's Australia's response. Australia welcomed the Solomon Islands' decision to rule out a Chinese military base on its soil. The news comes after a recent China-Solomon security pact sent shockwaves throughout the West. Many voiced fears that the pact could allow China to establish its military just a thousand miles off the coast of Australia. But the Solomon Islands Prime Minister reassured Australia that it won't be happening. I think you've got to deal with people at, at face value and he has uh, made those comments. Uh, we of course have made very clear uh, what Australia's position is on, uh, on any proposal. Uh, such as the one that was mooted uh, in, uh, in the media uh, prior to it being ruled out by Prime Minister Sogavare. So I welcome his comments uh, ruling out uh, there being a Chinese base in Australia. A former director of U.S. Naval Intelligence also reacted to the remark, but shared a different perspective. I think it's entirely plausible within the next decade we will see not only Chinese military vessels pulling into port in the Solomon Islands, 
but we will see PLA aircraft, which have already been there, a Y-20 resupply aircraft have flown through uh, Henderson Field, the Guadalcanal, and done resupply operations uh, and sent in supplies. So it's just going to increase, and saying that you feel confident that it won't happen is just uh, hard to comprehend. In addition to its Solomon Islands deal, Beijing had pushed a similar agreement with 10 more Pacific nations. Even though the talks failed, the Chinese regime has suggested it would make new attempts in the future. But that may get harder for China as time goes on. Both the U.S. and Australia are ramping up their engagement with the region following China's effort. And Albanese's government has promised additional spending on regional aid, totaling over 350 million U.S. dollars. As for Washington, Vice President Kamala Harris announced plans to triple U.S. funding to the region to $60 million over the next decade. The U.S. also plans to establish new embassies in Kiribati and Tonga, as well as bring the Peace Corps back to the region. Harris made the announcement during a virtual meeting with leaders from the Pacific Islands Forum. A day after her remarks, China held a separate political dialogue with the leaders from the Pacific region. A new comment from the chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on U.S.-China relations. He said the only thing that's changed in the negotiations over audits of Chinese companies is time. On Wednesday, Gary Gensler said he isn't sure whether the two parties will reach an agreement, one that's required for Chinese companies to stay in the U.S. stock exchange. He added that a no-deal situation is quite possible. U.S. law requires American regulators to examine the audit papers of Chinese companies listed in the U.S., and the deadline is just months away. That date is set by the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. The rule bans U.S. securities trading for companies who don't meet one main requirement, allowing American auditors to inspect their books. If they fail to do so for three consecutive years, they get delisted. Beijing says it's looking to avoid that scenario. But it's a consequence the companies will face if the deadline is missed and if no agreement is made. And there are about 150 Chinese companies identified as non-compliant. Beijing has been blocking U.S. authorities from fully accessing the audit papers of Chinese companies, citing national security reasons. Officials from the U.S. side stress that the law leaves them no room to accommodate these Chinese firms. Coming up, explosive rescue vehicles and helicopters, a closer look at Taiwan's civil defense drill and how the island is prepping its citizens for a potential Chinese invasion. That's under the shadow of Russia's war on Ukraine and a rapid Chinese military buildup. More on that story after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Taiwan held an emergency drill on Thursday as the possibility of missile attacks from China rises. NDD's Chenny Wu has the story. Explosives went off next to giant posters of destroyed buildings in New Taipei on Thursday. It was part of the annual Minan Civil Defense Drill, an exercise Taiwan conducts to raise readiness for natural disasters or a possible missile attack from China. 
This Ming'an 8th preparedness drill includes all kinds of scenarios that could be faced during a war. We hope that through this exercise, the new Taipei city government will be able to deal with complex disasters or any war situations. The Ukraine-Russia conflict became a warning sign for the Taiwanese government, driving it to prepare its people for a possible attack by neighboring China. Beijing has stepped up its military provocations against democratic Taiwan in recent years. The Chinese regime claims Taiwan falls under Chinese territory and has threatened to take over the island by force. Taiwan is governed by its own democratically elected leaders and constitution. It has never been ruled by the Chinese Communist Party. The Taipei Fire Department said that the civil defense drills were updated based on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Dogs and rescue personnel were seen running through simulated wreckage while helicopters airlifted mock victims. Local authorities said the drill involved 1,800 police, firefighters and volunteers, as well as 200 rescue vehicles and four helicopters. Taipei authorities also predict that since Taiwan is an island, Taiwan's ports would most likely be targeted during air raids. The island is gearing up for another week of drills later this month, when it'll stage its annual Han Kuang military drills. Chen Wu, NTD News. Turning to the South China Sea, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is urging China to comply with an international court ruling. It involves the Philippines and disputed waters in the region. But China has called the ruling illegal. Here's why. Beijing claims virtually all waters surrounding the Philippines as Chinese territory. But a 2016 ruling declared that invalid. Now, Secretary Blinken is reminding China to comply with that decision and warns the Chinese regime that Washington is obligated to defend its ally, the Philippines, if it were to come under attack in the disputed waters. That's including possible strikes on Filipino ships, aircraft or land forces. Blinken's statement came out Tuesday, the day marked the sixth anniversary of the 2016 court ruling. That decision was made by an arbitration tribunal under the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. The ruling came after the Philippine government made a complaint in 2013 about increasingly aggressive Chinese actions in the disputed sea. China responded by calling the ruling illegal, null and void. The same day Blinken's statement came out, protesters took to the streets of the Philippine capital. They urged their new president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., to protect his country's claim in the South China Sea. For President Marcos, it's a fine line to walk. Beijing is the Philippines' biggest trading partner. Most Filipino export goods get sent to China. And China is also the country's top imports supplier. When Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi visited the country earlier this month, he called for a new golden era between the two nations, emphasizing mutual trust and cooperation. A United Nations report predicts China will soon lose its status as the world's most populous country. That India is now primed to take that status. Here's more on when it's set to become official. India could be the most populous nation next year instead of China. That's according to a United Nations report called World Population Prospects 2022, or WPP. It says India's population will slightly exceed China's starting in the second half of next year. UN projections say India will continue to hold that position until the year 2100. 
Zooming out to the global population, the U.N. Secretary General said population growth fell below 1 percent in 2020, the lowest since 1950. Despite those significantly slowing birth rates, the organization also estimates that the world population will grow past 8 billion this year. While the WPP report predicts that the global population will reach 9 billion by 2038. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ndd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.